Blog Talk Radio. Well, as usual, our intro is probably is not working correctly, so we have enough to discuss over the next hour. Uh, Seth and Sean Sports Radio. Seth from 40-degree rainy uh, Hoboken, New Jersey, with a six-month on his lap. Sean in 90-degree Scottsdale. I'm just a little bit jealous. Uh, not 90 degrees. Let, let, it is 53 degrees. I am in Prescott, which is a little bit north of Phoenix. Um, while Seth has a four-month-old, Wait, I have a 91-year-old grandmother sitting next to me <laughs> who is joining us for the for the show. Say hi, Graham. Say hi. 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 So grandma's here. <laughs> so grandma is going to be uh, our first uh, in in studio listener. I guess is the way to do it. <laughs> and uh, so. Uh, so good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, everybody. It's a beautiful sunset here in in Prescott, and uh, lots of NFL, and even more so. Seth and Sean once again. I think we got zeroed, other than Vance Joseph, which was basically a given on all of our coaching picks. Yeah, um, to be fair, I don't think too many people were really going with Sean McVay uh, to the Rams. It is for a team that has two or three years to build. It makes sense. McVeigh making both Sean and I feel old and relatively useless, becoming the youngest coach in the history of the NFL at age 30, jumping over from Washington, uh, you know, as their offense coordinator for the last three years, playing with uh, uh, coaching Kirk Cousins, coaching Deshaun Jackson, Pierre Garçon. It's an interesting move. Is that They have a quarterback in waiting in Jared Goff. They have a stud running back in Todd Gurley. They have very little in the wideout realm. Um, but again, this is a team that's really not going anywhere the next year or two. So, and, le- and anything is better than slightly below mediocrity, which is where they've been saddled for the last five years of the Jeff Fisher era. Um, Sean McDermott goes to Buffalo. Someone who last year was really high on everyone's radar and with Charlotte falling apart in part because of Norman, Josh Norman leaving, in part because of injury, in part seemingly because of the immaturity of some players not to be named. He kind of, nobody it hadn't really been mentioned for any of the head coaching jobs this year. Um, I think it's an interesting pick. What are, what are your thoughts on the first two? Well, McVeigh is the Theo Epstein pick of the Los Angeles Rams. No question about it. They're hoping for lightning in a bottle being the younger guy grows with the group. The problem is with, Yes, they have Jared Goff, but they also are devoid of any meaningful draft picks because of the pick of Jared Goff. So Jared Goff is a make-or-break player for that Los Angeles Rams team. Look, if McVay is the, is the quarterback whisperer that everybody thinks he is, it's a good selection. He's 30 years old. We don't know anything about him. He could be Lane Kiffin and completely explode. McDermott, well, he's been on the on the radar list for a very long time, first with the Eagles, then with He's a, he's a disciple of Jim Johnson, although, you know what? Good and great defensive coordinators overcome the loss of one player. And when they lost Josh Norman this year, and granted they lost Josh Norman very late in the cycle, the free agent cycle, so not a whole lot of, of effort in bringing somebody back uh, to replace him. I don't know about the McDermott pick. I think this is more of a, we said this last week, Who's really controlling – are the inmates controlling the asylum there in Buffalo 
because we're not really sure whether it's Doug Whaley that has the hammer, whether it's Russ Brandon that has the hammer, who happens to be the president, or, or everything's being played by Terry Beluga. But, again, we learned that uh, McDermott is going to report straight to Beluga, and Whaley will report to Beluga, and Brandon will report to Beluga. That's not the way the general system works in the NFL. So I don't know if that's just Doug Whaley hoping to have a job next year. No. I mean, I think everyone thinks that Whaley is on, is on kind of guided uh, – is on – his last legs up in Buffalo. And if that press conference, you know, regarding the firing of Rex Ryan or Rex Ryan leaving, it, it doesn't reflect that. I don't know what would, uh, going back, you know, the, the hit, the main, the, the favorite in Buffalo ended up going 3000 miles West to a lot better, to a lot better weather and a much better offense. Anthony Lynn goes from running back coach to offensive coordinator to interim head coach to head coach in about four months, taking over a team in San Diego that needs to re-sign Melvin Ingram, but between Ingram and Joey Bosa, the defensive rookie of the year, and Casey Hayward, and Keenan Allen, and Melvin Gordon, and Phillip Rivers, not a team devoid of talent whatsoever. More divisional issue than I think anything else. So a, good, a really good falling point for him uh, to start I, I his, co- his head think- coaching career. Yeah, Seth, I think it's a horrible pick for San Diego. An an absolutely horrendous pick. This is not the guy. Uh, Sean seems to have faded out into, well, wherever Prescott. Sean, we missed the last 30 seconds of what you just said. After it's a terrible pick. Okay, well, that's good. Can you hear me now? Is this better? I can hear you now. All right, so I'm not I'm not working for Verizon or Sprint, but however you can hear me now. So the concept is I think this is a horrendous selection. I think they needed a bigger name and a better person than Anthony Lynn, and I don't mean like morality. I think they just needed a better coach, one more established, even if it was going to be a retread, than Anthony Lynn going into San Diego or into L.A. As it turns out. Because when you go into a new market and you're the secondary team, you are fighting for that market tooth and nail. They need a winner, and they need a winner really, really quickly. And I don't think Anthony Lim was the proper pick. Look, we'll see what happens. Obviously, time will tell. But this is not – I don't think this was the greatest pick. I think this was – And Sean is out again. This is what happens when you host a show with two people 3,000 miles away. Um, I tend to agree. I didn't, it was a surprising pick to me. Um, the, the Chargers, excuse me, a team in disarray, not from a player standpoint, but from a managerial jumping from you know, a, beloved, a beloved team in San Diego, but a, t- a city that is not willing, that is not willing, to put to pay for public funds to refund to pay for a stadium, which is completely understandable because I think we many of us, including myself, believe that that the stadiums really bring about growth or not significant growth. I think it's more illusory than anything else. And moving to a twenty-eight thousand person stadium for two years, then moving to LA, a place where they have no fan base and they really have no interest. Um, 
is not unless there's a winner right away. I, I don't see a great fit. So I tend to agree with you, Sean. Um, he is back for now until until I guess. Well, if it's not Verizon, it's not Sprint until T-Mobile cuts out. So I I agree. I think there would have been a better there are there were better choices available, but you know I'm not in the interviewing process. You know Dean Spanos is a, is an owner desperate for a winner, and if he thinks that the, that this is going to be the way it plays out, and they did keep Ken Wizen Hunt, I, I'm assuming they're going to try and keep their defense they're going to try and keep their defense coordinator very well, the coordinator as well. And I'm forgetting the name is escaping me off the top of my head, um, but pretty well regarded. Uh, and we'll see. You know, he, I, they need a motivator, and we'll see. Which is why I like Dave Cobb for that position. It doesn't, but you know, we'll see how it plays out. As you said, Vance Joseph to Denver. Mike McCoy comes back from his old stomping grounds as offensive coordinator. Um, they need a co- Denver made the choice they probably they very well almost made four years ago, and it's interesting because because Joseph not coming off a great defensive year in Miami, but well respected, a guy LA is. Uh, comfortable with. Now they just need a quarterback. Yeah, was Je- was Joseph really going there because of that we discussed this last week, where I think Vance Joseph is more of a CEO type person, where he's going to leave the defense to be the defense, the offense to be the offense now with Mike McCoy, and then he takes over the overarching Bill Parcells role. And I don't think it has anything to do with the acumen defensively of Vance Joseph last year. I think this all boils down to four years ago they were comfortable with him. This year they were comfortable with him. They think he could be that Mike Tomlin-type guy that could just oversee everything, and he'll be successful. And good pick. Um, do I think that? Do I think that there were better picks out there? There could have been. This is John Elway. This is a reputation. This is a guy that has proved it before with coaching Chop firing John Fox after a playoff year and bringing Gary Kubiak because he thought we needed somebody to put it over, put him, put the team over the top. I don't have any. He's a guy you trust, right? I mean, he's a guy that, that's done it before. So until he proves me wrong, let him roll with it. I like the pick. Yeah, uh, the only team now that has not brought in a coach is uh, is San Francisco, although that is looking more and like, more like it's going to be Kyle Shanahan. Uh, Josh, as we had talked about, Josh McDaniels would have been a favorite. He's decided not to pursue the position. Tom Cable, the offensive line coach in Seattle and former head coach of the Raiders, decided not to pursue the position. It looks like it's kind of, it looks like it's Kyle Shanahan's if he wants it. And he may be available as early as as Monday, or maybe a few weeks. But with no other with no other coaching jobs out there, as far as we know, Indy is still holding holding on to Chuck Arians. No, they have their they have their pick of a lot, but it is looking it is looking like Kyle Shanahan, and it does make you wonder if uh, if York is Jed York is going to bring in a Mike Shanahan in part for the front office position to kind of help in that kind of transitionary to help transition. Uh, Shanahan's the hot name. That team needs a quarterback. That team needs an offense. That team needs an identity. 
They have none of the above. Shanahan has the offensive chops to give them one quickly if if some if some pieces can be put into place uh, in a rapid fashion. Oh, Seth, can we please have more nepotism in the NFL? Please, because there's not enough nepotism in the NFL to begin with that we absolutely need more of this. Because Mike Shanahan, who has never been a general manager, would be an awesome general manager there in in San Francisco, where they are the most dysfunctional team of all time. So let maybe not of all time, but certainly of the last five years. In the you, NFL. Know, you know my Let's, you know my feelings on Mike Shanahan. I have made them clear over the years. But, again, we have not heard a peep from Jim Irsay. I still come back. We have not heard a peep from Jim Irsay. And what are the Colts going to do? And there were rumors a couple of weeks ago that they were going to keep Ryan Gregson and they were going to keep Chuck Pagano. And those were great rumors. And yet Jim Irsay, who is tweets more than – probably the miles amount that I've driven in the last four days, and that is up to 522, the amount of tweets that he does on a weekly basis. No word about his coaching general manager. I find this very odd, don't you? I do as well. Um, And we will see how it plays out. But again, now there's, to be honest, there's now time. There, I mean, if, if there, there are coaches now. Look, if he wanted to go after a Shanahan or wanted to go after a McVay, that those opportunities are gone. But if he wants one of the New England coordinators, or he wants a Terrell Austin, or he wants to make a run at David Shaw from Stanford, nobody really in his way. Great. So, yeah, the, it, the, it's kind of a dead time. There's no, you know the. Pro Bowl is irrelevant, so the next big thing you have is the combine, and you can take your time to get a GM in place prior to that. Because obviously, if you're if you're going to replace Arians, you've got to be replacing Gregson as well. Speaking I of replacing, Pagano. I, th- I think you meant Pagano, Pagano. not Arians. Yes, Arians yes. isn't going. Anywhere. I meant Pag- I, I meant Pagano. So be, speaking sure. of replacing, um, I don't know out in Phoenix or out in Arizona, as I should say how much you read over the last two days of the Carmelo, uh, Phil Jackson. I don't even know what you want to call it. There are rumors that Hornacek, Jeff Hornacek, the coach of the Knicks is going to leave. Uh, Phil Jackson's best friend who happens to be a writer wrote a pretty big takedown of Carmelo a couple days ago. Carmelo stating he hadn't seen anything on it, but if they want him to waive his no, no trade clause, they can talk to him about it. So they had that meeting today. Melo is kind of reinforced. He wants to remain a Nick. I'm with his wife, you know, kind of in the entertainment field in New York. It makes sense. I, you know, to go to the, you know, he wanted to go to the Bulls. Well, the Bulls have kind of come over between Noah and Joaquin Noah and Derek Rose. So, and they're not going anywhere. It's a team in disarray. If you were Melo, would you waive the no trade? Well, we've talked about this before. First of all, I have not heard any of this. I thought you were actually going to go to the Islanders filing uh, Jack Tapiano, which happened today. But not heard anything about Melo or Hornacek or, or Phil Jackson. But I, this is entirely Melo's fault. 
and this is coming from a Carmelo Anthony fan, a Syracuse guy. You can call me a mellow apologist if you want, but Carmelo Anthony is going to go down as one of the best players, offensive players, to never win a championship, in my opinion. But he will not go down as anywhere close to a top ten player, perhaps even of his generation, not lead, and he does not play defense. And Without those two things, you become Bernard King, or you become George Gervin, or you become Alex English, or you become Adrian Dantley. I think I mentioned probably five of the top ten players in the last 25 years that have not won a championship, maybe 30 years. But the fact is, those guys all have the same thing in common. They are not good leaders, and they don't play a lick of defense. I mean, look at Adrian Dantley with the with the Pistons, right? Isaiah Thomas, from all reports, got him traded because he didn't play defense at all. And they weren't going to win with Adrian Dantley. So, Alex English, same thing in Denver. George Berman, same thing in San Antonio. All tremendous offensive players, but not good basketball players. So if I'm Carmelo, I think the question is, do I want to win a championship? And if I do, I either have to go to a team like Utah, which has four guys that can all play defense and I can be hidden. And I got Rudy Gobert in back of me, or Gilbert. Or I have to understand that if I don't win that no trade clause, I'm not winning a championship here in New York. And the fans will eventually turn on him because they now have KP. Um, I think also the, the difference between, you know, you're mentioning an Alex English, you're mentioning a George Gervin. I think the frustrating part for Knicks fans is also we've seen, and I am not a Knicks fan, so I really don't have any skin in the game, but when surrounded by big-time talent, when he played for the Olympics and you know, he's, this is his, I think, fourth Olympic team. He did show the ability to play defense and rebound because there were other scores around uh, that surrounded him and other talent that was comparable. Obviously, he has not had been able to – the Knicks have been unable to bring in the talent, but, you know, it, 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 it has to be frustrating. And you saw that kind of the half-assed, kind of made a half-assed move against the 76ers to, to take the ball, T.J. McConnell, beat him to it, ended up hitting a game-winning jump shot uh, with no time left. And you could just kind of see the disgust on his face. I think every I, – I mean, in my opinion, it would be best for everybody, probably including Phil Jackson, to move on um, but, and just rebuild around KP and just, and just see how, 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 how everything plays out. I don't see it happening on either side. I don't see Jackson leaving, um, although it seems like he probably should because other than the Porzingis pickup, and apparently he – and I didn't know this, and you may not have either. He had tried to trade for Kyle Lowry, um, but James Dolan had rejected the trade, having been ripped off once by the Raptors in regards to Andre, uh, Andrea Barjani. Um, you know, this is – the Knicks are a team, and this is something that I discussed in our preview. The best case scenario of this team is a first round exit in my you know, maybe a second round. 
three months ago. Yep. Now I think it's about a percent chance of them making the playoffs. They have they have contracts. They have you know uh, Joaquin Noah for another ten years. Another excuse me four years. Sorry, just feels like ten years. They have Anthony for a few more years. You know Derek Rose is gonna is probably a one and done. It's a team that just can't seem to get any footing. And say what you want about the Nets, and the Nets have less talent than any team in the NBA. That team plays hard for their coach. And they have yep. no talent and no draft picks. Thank you, Billy King. But they do play or they play tough and they play organized. And I can't say that about the team across the river. No, absolutely not. And like I said, I think this is Melo's fault. I think Melo needs to lead by example. I think he's intimidated by the fact that we're in New York and he may not be the fan's choice anymore. And he's pouting. He's downright pouting. $25 million powder. And the fans have turned on Carmelo. And the reason he doesn't play this way in the Olympics is he has guys that he respects and that he realizes are better than him, so he defers to those players. Well, ladies and gentlemen, for better or for worse, Carmelo now plays with one of those players that has the potential, if not is already better than him all around. But Carmelo doesn't see it that way. So if he's not going to see it that way, he won't play like he does in the Olympics. He won't defer. He still thinks he's the guy. And as far as Knicks fans are concerned, he's no longer the guy. Look, I'll still root for him. I think he's He's still one of my favorite players because he's still Carmelo Anthony from Syracuse University and is on my favorite team, the New York Knicks. But much like you shake your head that when you see Eli throw a pass that he probably should be throwing, I shake my head when Carmelo gets the ball with with maybe 14 seconds on the shot clock knowing that he's going to hold it until two. And I just say, when he is your $25 million player, well, speaking of playing the team game, an interesting little segue to the aftermath of a good one of one of the two. Well, there was a classic playoff game. There was an awful. There was two mediocre playoff games, and there was a good game on on Sunday night. Segue to to selfishness. The Antonio Brown video, Facebook video. Have you seen this yet? I know you've heard about it, but have you watched uh, it? I have not watched it. I, I believe I saw the transcript of it, so I know what it says. Now, I have no issue. You know, anything that's – there's the old adage, what you say, what you hear, when you leave, you leave it here. That was just destroyed. And the last thing you really need is to motivate, whether it's true – whether it's based on something that's real, a real insult or perceived one which in this case I think would be a perceived one by Mike Tomlin. Why would Antonio Brown do this? What would possess someone to tape, to tape something like this in the middle of your playoffs? Now, there's going, to be no, there's going to be no ramifications for Brown. You know, he's going to be, oh, be sure in house. Seth, I don't agree with that at all. I think there are going to be ramifications. And part of the reason is, a little-known fact that you are not allowed to broadcast any footage right from the NFL. You are not allowed to broadcast any footage 
because the broadcast partners have all footage rights for the first 24 hours. So what Brown did was basically bypass the footage rules that these partners, NBC, Fox, CBS, pay billions, and that's with a B, billions of dollars for. So if you don't give him a penalty, and I look, it's not going to be a suspension. I mean a monetary penalty. You're asking for this to happen again. It's not going to. You are, but here, here is here is the problem. This isn't week five against the Rams. This is going into the AFC title game. Right. As, as you know, Mike Tomlin said it's going to be handled in-house, which we all know, which is not exactly something that gives you a great – and look, Tomlin was humiliated on this. Because, right, again, he gave a speech, said. which no, is no. – But Seth, that's what Tomlin says. That's not what the league is saying. Fair enough. Have we heard, have we heard anything from the league yet? I, ha- I haven't I have, seen anything yet. We have not heard anything from the league, and you know what? It doesn't matter if you hear from it this week, next week, or in six weeks. It's not going to change, right? I mean, Do you think anything is going to happen in an either for this week's game? No. The, the only thing that's going to happen is he's going to get fined. He may, right. not, he may get fined this week. He may get fined next week. He may get fined in five weeks. Which is, which is, which is, which is meaningless. Okay, but it's still around. To find a guy making ten million, to find a guy making ten million dollars or whatever Brown's salary is, plus yep. whatever endorsements that he has, is pointless. No, no, no I'm not saying. Uh, look, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying there are ramifications. It just won't be playing time. I agree with you. I, right. I, it, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were going down that road. You are correct. There will be no playing time ramifications. That's where I was going with this. Okay. Um, so let's kind of get yeah, on. Let's, go, let's, let's talk about I'm sorry. No, you're right. You, you don't have to put any more bulletin board material on the wall for the New England Patriots. I mean, come on. You're, you're being selfish. <laughs> it's just that simple. On to the game. And I don't know when you flew out to Arizona if you saw – uh, the Kansas City Pittsburgh game. Yeah, I saw all four games. A strange, I saw all four games. A strange game. Um, Le'Veon Bell runs for 170 yards. Roethlisberger looks pretty good, but the team cannot put the ball in the end zone. Chris Boswell, I guess one of the the fourth killer B. You see, like Ringo, um, you know, kicks six field goals. They over Kansas City. You know, again, Andy Reid clock management skills have not really improved jumping from the NFC to the AFC. And although they tie the game on a Spencer Ware touchdown or, or score a touchdown to, to put it within a two-point conversion, Eric Fisher gets called up for a hold. I don't think it was that controversial, um, although Travis Kelsey seemed to disagree. Travis Kelsey playing the Odell Beckham uh, card uh, this this week, big couple, big drop, couple big penalties, not a huge impact on the game. Pittsburgh goes to Kansas City, and we thought it was going to be the closest game of the weekend, and the best game. And it was, and it wasn't the best game, but it certainly was close. Uh, beat KC eighteen sixteen. They play New England, who looked, and this is the one I skipped the New England game for 
because I just had to miss one game, and that was the easiest one to skip. And what I understand did not look very good against Houston, but again, playing against Brock Osweiler, how good do you really need to look in Foxborough? So we're looking at Pittsburgh, New England, which is what most of us, we both thought it would be. What are your thoughts going in? Well, New England and, and Houston was very close at halftime. I believe the score was 17-14. And New England did what New England does. They kicked the field goal before the end of the half. They doubled, they doubled it up with Sean after the half. And that basically broke open the game. So New England played as well as they needed to play. They really miss Rob Gronkowski in this type of scenario. And I think they're going to miss him a lot this week when they play against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh looked very good. They couldn't put the ball in the end zone, but they looked very good. Every part of their team besides that looked very good. I think this is going to be a great matchup, and I love the fact that Chris Boswell is kicking as well from a guy that is rooting against New England at all opportunities. And this is not something that is surprising for our for our faithful that they are learning that I am rooting against New England because I always root against New England. So the fact is, Boswell kicking well, defense playing well, Timmons playing extraordinarily well, especially when he is guarding down the field against Tyreek Hill, which he did for a lot of the game. I like Pittsburgh going in. I really do. I think that New England is a good team, but New England is not the New England team of the past. And I think Pittsburgh has a legitimate shot of pulling off the upset here. I, I, I'm picking it. I'm picking Pittsburgh. Oh my! Um, and this is something I was kind of saying throughout the year. At a certain point, losing all this talent New England has, whether it's due to injury, whether it's due to trading a Jamie Collins, is going to catch up, and it may not catch up in the division because the division is just straight up terrible. But you look from a talent perspective at this New England team, they're just not as good as the teams in the past. The line isn't as good. The wideouts, although Edelman has been solid because he's Edelman, um, and Kevin Hogan's been a nice, you know, been a nice addition. But without Gronkowski, you don't have a stud there. And Martellus Bennett is a nice player, but he's not, you know, the, the – Pittsburgh has been lousy in New England, though. And part of it, probably some still resentment with Pittsburgh from last year because they was a team that they thought, they were a team that thought without the injuries could have made the run. I think they make the run this year. I think James Harrison is playing like he's 30, not 40. I think the line is solid. The right, Bell is playing at another level. And I think they go to New England, and I think they win. I think they win relatively convincingly. Okay. I, I, and I, 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 unlike you, I really have no skin in the in the New England. My 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 season ended with happiness. Uh, on the Mason Crosby field goal. So we'll jump <laughs> over to that. And that talk about a great ending to a game. We we've been lucky enough in the first two and a half weeks of of, of 2017. They have three phenomenal football games. We had to start off with the Rose Bowl, USC, Penn State, and we had a national title game. And now we tr- we convert, we go from the college to the pros, and an absolute classic down in Dallas. 
credit to Dak Prescott for bringing this team back from 21-3. You remember when? But I just when I was watching that when I was watching a Green Bay team without their best wideout go up and down the field on Dallas. Jared Cook doing his best any all-pro tight end. I mean, we saw Jared Cook on the Rams. Jared Cook was not very good. To see him making these plays and to see Aaron Rodgers flick a 35-yard pass down the field on a dime, it's going to be a – talk about a classic on Sunday. Green Bay, of course, despite giving up a 15-point lead in the fourth quarter, Three field goals in the last two minutes, all over 50 yards, and Mason Crosby hitting a 51-yarder at the buzzer to deflate the Cowboys for the umpteenth straight playoff time. I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, I, I figured you did, you would. I was watching at the gym with my cousin Adam, also a Giants fan, that said relatively the same thing as you did, in that my season is now complete because the Giants made the playoffs and the Cowboys lose, lost. And you basically went into the Sean Palmer mode of my team lost, so now I root for my biggest rivals. Lose. I get it. I'm there, and I'm still going there. And that's why Pittsburgh all the way, David. But the fact is, Jared Cook, if I recall correctly, first played for the Tennessee Titans and was a first-round pick coming out. And he was an incredibly athletic player. And when he got signed to that big contract with the Rams kind of went off the chart a little bit. You could make the claim that everybody with the Rams went off the chart a little bit. So to see him come back and to play like I thought he would when he came out of college and how he did when he was with the Titans is nice to see. So I don't see really any reason that he can't do this continuing on and look, when you have Aaron Rodgers slinging the ball, anything is possible, right? Yeah, I I don't think he would. Cook was not a first round pick. Pretty sure he was with the Titans and he was with the Rams. Um, but I, I'm gonna look it up quickly. But I'm pretty sure he wasn't a first round pick. Um, but to see, there you go. Uh. University of South Carolina, are you right? No, he's drafted in the third round by the Titans, and then he went to the Rams where he signed a nice, a nice contract, uh, a five-year deal with the Rams, and then just disappeared. And then, when you're, I mean, when you're cut by the Rams, who are the worst passing offense in the NFL, that's something. Um, but you look at that team, talk about what should be a fun game, and the team, a game which I think is extraordinarily difficult to pick. Going to an Atlanta who absolutely decimated the Seattle Seahawks, uh, 36-20. Matt Ryan, probably the MVP, looked phenomenal. That offense really just looks great. And, I mean, I think you're, you're looking – I mean, even the over-under, I think, is over 60 for this game. But you're looking at, you're looking at a potential shootout down in Atlanta. And I know you liked Atlanta coming into to the playoffs. No, no question about it. I, I still like them. I, I, 
there's nothing that they showed against Seattle that would prove any differently than me still liking them. I mean, they were the most complete team of the weekend, bar none. And they beat a very good Seattle team with very good protection. And you need protection and be able to run the ball. And as you and I both know, having our man Devontae Freeman on our team this year on the Seth Show on Sports Radio Fantasy team, this team can run the ball very well. And Green Bay, well, Green Bay has got five with very limited running ability. And I don't think, look, I, I we all know Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers, and he's been compared to many players this past week in what he can do. But Aaron Rodgers really hasn't seen a pass rush. I mean, look, Dallas did a very good pass rush, no question about it. But hasn't seen a pass rush like Atlanta. Atlanta, I believe, led the league in sacks this year. So you like Atlanta going – you like Atlanta. I, I like Atlanta at home, yeah. I, I I really do. If this game was in Green Bay, I would be thinking differently, playing in negative six and all the cheese heads all over the place. But since this is being played in Atlanta on that track, I like uh, I like Atlanta game. It really does. I'll be honest. I think any of these games really sound good. Um no, no, no. Anything with New England does not sound good. <laughs> Fair enough. So, jumping to one of Sean's favorite topics. Tomorrow, they, the Major League Baseball releases their Hall of Fame inductees for 2017. And for the last five years or as long as we've hosted the show, I think it's five years now. There has been one man at the front of the show, on the Sean Palmer bandwagon, or Sean Palmer has been the head of the Tim Raines bandwagon. This is his last year, his last year before the Veterans Committee. So I want to go through the names with you and say, you know, let's see your votes. I want to see where your th- what your thoughts are. And we'll, All right. And give your give your rationale. And we'll start All off right. with very simply. We'll start off with the sec, probably one of the top three to four lead off lead off lead off hitters of all time. I mean, I know you prefer to Tony Gwynn, the seven time uh, batting champion. You know, he got seventy percent last year. Tim Raines being the Hall of Fame. And will why he make it? Tim Raines be okay. So. Why should Tim Raines be in the Hall of Fame? Wow. Uh, where do I where do I start with stats from my head? He was on base more times than Tony Gwynn, who got in with, I believe, over 87%. So if you want to compare him to a qualified Hall of Famer from the recent time, there you go, Tony Gwynn. More, more times on base than Tony Gwynn. The most successful stealer of all time with more than 500 steals. He swiped successful bases more than anybody else in history. He is the second best leadoff hitter of all time. I don't even want to hear that he's outside of number two. And the only reason that he is not in the Hall of Fame is because he played at the same time as Ricky Henderson. If he played at any other time in baseball history, he would have had 84 higher five years ago. So, yeah, I'm the head of the Tony Reigns bandwagon. He should get in. 
he, or early polling has him in, I think it would be a complete upset if he does not get in tomorrow. The other, the the the, the biggest first, the biggest name in his first year of candidacy is Pudge Rodriguez. 14-time All-Star, 13-time Gold Glove, 2,800 hits, 300 homers, the best defensive catcher in baseball, the best catcher of his era. The, the only negative against him is the rumors of the PEDs, but that starts to dissipate, I think, with Piazza getting in last year. There's no, there's no proof. My assumption is Rodriguez gets in pretty easily. Your thoughts? I agree with you. I think he gets in pretty easily. Um, I think he gets in in the 80%, maybe 82% range. You only need 75%. You could make the claim, and ESPN has, that Pudge Rodriguez may be the best catcher ever. Certainly one of the top five defensive catchers ever. He could be in the top five offensive catchers ever. He won a batting title. He won a World Series. It's him or Johnny Bench, and there's nobody else in that conversation. I know Piazza may be the best hitting catcher, but he was one of the worst fielding catchers of all time as well. Pudge gets in. Pudge deserves to get in. The only reason you would hold out against Pudge would be, as you said, the PED rumors. Is he a PED user? Guys that like that wants to keep Bonds, wants to keep, wants to keep Clemens out? I do. I want to keep those guys out. But there's no proof that this guy used it whatsoever, aside from an innuendo and a rumor. And if you want to give me that, then I got about a thousand other players you can keep out as well. Punch gets in, and he gets in pretty handily. Well, we'll talk about one that you actually just. Speaking of PED rumors, and one of my favorite players of all time, I know you were a fan of his as well. Probably a top first, top five first baseman of all time. Um, Jeff Bagwell, great Astro, MVP in 94, almost 950 OPS, almost 450 home runs. I think he gets in with ease this year. He was at 72% last year. I don't think there's any doubt he gets in this year. I think, and I think before we even get to that, I think we should probably talk about the importance of the, of the, of the transparency with the Hall of Fame ballots, um, which I believe started this year where they have to, everyone has to publicly and, you know, reflect who they are, who they voted for. What are your thoughts? I love the transparency. Love it. I think it should be transparent in every sport, whether you are voting Agreed. for the Hall of Fame or not. Remember, this Hall of Fame is, it's a museum. For heaven's sake, that's all it is. And can you tell, I agree with, I don't remember, was it Peter King that said it? Tim Kirchin, Buster, maybe probably Buster Olney, I think, because I listen to him more than anybody else. And now he said, yeah, put bonds, what it is. The Hall of Fame is a story. Can you tell the story of Major League Baseball without Pete Rose? I don't think you can. Can you tell the story, specific, particularly in 1990s and 2000s, without Barry Bonds? I don't think there's a question you can't. He won, what, five MVPs? You can't tell it without Roger Clemens either. So, well, I've kind of – let me, let me make a, a, a contrarian argument to that. And I'm not saying whether sure. he should or he shouldn't until this point. 
But you also really can't tell. I mean, we all know that the strike in 94 really did, really took a, hampered the game for a long time. Yep. For several years. And the two yep. things that brought it back were, number one, the Cal Ripken chase for Lou Gehrig's record. Yep. And number two, the Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa. Now, you can't really talk about the restoration of, of baseball without McGuire and Sosa. And to my mind, neither of them are Hall of Famers, forgetting the P, with or without the PED scandal. Okay. I can go with you on that, hitters of all time. No. And I'm not, as I said, I'm not arguing whether Bonds or Clemens. We'll get to that in a second. I, I'm tending to more and more agree with you because – my feeling is, that the, as you said, the Hall of Fame is a museum, and it is a hall of great, and they are great. I'm watching my wife do the running man right now, so if I get a little distracted, I apologize, um, which now turned yeah, into the Carlton dance. Seth, here's my biggest question for you. As, as a person that, that states this is a hall of fame, right? It's not a hall of very good. You are the biggest mm-hmm. – if I am the bandwagon leader for Tim Raines, you are the bandwagon leader for Hall of Great versus Hall of Very yep. Good. So, is Barry Bonds, let's start what he did on the field, in the Hall of Great? Yeah. Is Roger Clemens in the Hall of Great? Absolutely. Okay. So, I don't think, and it's taken me a while to get to this point, it really has, that if that's the case and you put him in and you tell the story, I don't think McGuire or Sosa is in the hall of very great. I never have. Because if Sosa's in it, then Albert Bell is in it as well. Or, and there's another name that I'm going to throw out there that really should be getting more publicity, more publicity, Gary Sheffield. Yes, agreed. Um, but Gary Sheffield yeah, and, was a complete idiot. People hated Sheffield, and that's part of the reason. Yeah, and, well, people also hated Bonds, and people hated Clemens. Okay, And fair. people hated Bell, for that matter. Um, yeah, a little bit. All right. Yeah, so, I mean, to continue on, and this one to me is a little bit iffier. For, I know he'll get in. Great arm, great hitter. I just it never I don't know I just never I mean I I I I mean Vlad Guerrero gets in I assume he gets in on this I I assume this is gonna be the biggest class in recent times because suddenly everyone who hid behind I only want to vote for three people or I don't want to give a unanimous vote for a first year so I mean my assumption is Guerrero gets in kind of in the high seventies low eighties low eighties. Uh, maybe even higher than that because, as you said, it, it's kind of hard to argue. I don't put him – I don't know if I put him in the Hall of Great. No, I, I don't. I mean, to me, he was very, very good. I don't know if he was great. No, you tell me. You know, okay. I know you, you, this so, is your world more than mine. Sure. So Vlad was in the Hall of Great for a couple of years. He won an MVP with, with the, the Angels. Certainly, he was underappreciated when he was with Montreal, as many of the players were. No question about that. He was a DH for the majority of the latter part of his career. So, does he lose credit because of that? I think he does. I don't think Vlad gets in this year. I don't. 
whether he deserves to get in, he's not in the Hall of Greats, Seth. If, if you're going to make that if you're going to make that case, in Seth Kamen's Hall of Fame, Vlad Guerrero is not a Hall of Famer. No, in he was all very, of, very good. Right, right, right. In the Hall of Fame, the way that it is, well, let's put it this way: in Seth Kamen's Hall of Fame, nobody under ninety percent should get it. Totally fair. I but mean, again, if you're looking at it, okay, yeah, I mean, but there are names that that I wonder about that probably should have gotten more publicity. <laughs> Excuse me. Agreed, but you're, but you're talking about the 50s and the 60s where, where and even the I'm 40s. I'm talking even a guy when, like a David Cohn, who was, for years was great, or was very, very No, no, good. but hold on. I'm not saying, not saying he should have gotten in, but. Right, so what I'm saying is the guys that got in with 75 to 85%, the Al Kalines of the world, that were great. Even the Joe DiMaggio didn't get in on the first ballot. I think Campanella got right. 86%, right? He won three MVPs. He gets 86%. So using your 90%, using my 90% rule for the Seth Kamen's Hall of Fame is not fair to those guys. But in today's point of view, with today's publicity, if you, don't, if you are not a 90%er, I don't think you get into the Seth Kamen's Hall of Fame. Well, I also think that the percentages don't mean anything anymore. Here's why: because we can now see every, we can now see everyone's vote. You're going to well, see people see getting them. in a much, much, much higher percentage. Well, you won't see them this year. Well, it starts in seven, it starts in seventeen. Yeah, it starts in it starts in eighteen. So this is seventeen. Okay, you'll see them starting next year. So I think you're going to see maybe. I think Reigns gets in, I think Pudge gets in, and I think Bagwell gets in this year. I think next year you have here is the Bonds and and Clemens get in. Because okay. you're right, well, other, people cannot hide behind it. Right, other names to throw out there. Well, I think it's easier to hide on Bonds and Clemens because you can have a definitive reason not to vote for them. Sure, agree. Um, you may Manny, be, Manny being Manny. Again, from a from a number standpoint, absolutely. But he failed. He did fail the drug test after the PE, after the after it was enforced. Yep, and Manny's and, a different story. Just for that, Manny's a different story. Manny doesn't get in ever. I don't because, think you will see a P, I don't think you will see anybody that breaks the PED rule after they started testing and got caught get into the Hall of Fame. Doing it twice you'll ever see is even crazier. Now, did What's Ortiz that? fail the P? Did Ortiz fail the PED test? I no. know that there was rumors. There had been a lot of rumors that he did. That no. So what happened was in 2003, if my, if I believe, so in 2004 they, 2002 they agreed to a, if 10 percent of the people, 10 percent of the players. Everybody had to submit to a PED test. And if 10% of the players failed the PED test, then world, uh, sorry, baseball-wide testing would take place. And if less than 10%, baseball-wide testing would not take place. Because they wanted to establish a baseline of how many players are actually taking PEDs. Well, you and I both know that when you take a test like that and every player is taking it, you're going to get leaks as to who passed and who failed. Right, nothing's going to be sacrosanct. 
nothing's going to be totally un, unnoticeable or un, unknown. And the rumor is, and that list has never been released, it's never been confirmed, but the rumor is that A-Rod, <coughs> question to you, and I know we have about six minutes, do you believe Edgar Martinez makes it in this year? I'm thinking he may. Okay. Now the problem is that I don't think Martinez has been particularly close. I think he's been at what he's been nope. around the fifty percent rate. Correct? Yep. Yes, correct. This is this is his last year of eligibility? No, no, no. He has a couple more. He has a couple more. Then I think he gets in when they when they, in eighteen. You know, similar to almost a relief pitcher or similar to the great kicker to of Adam Vinatieri, or you know, a specific he had a specialty, and he was very, very good at it. You know, three twelve batting average. I think his fourteen his OB was well over four hundred. You know, I always say that you know you have. For, I mean, Hall is he great? He was a great hitter. It's a boy, but he was the best at his position for many years. And even if his yep. position is not as highly regarded as others, it's still a position. Okay. And, what about Trevor you know, David, David or I don't think Hoffman gets in this year. Um, I don't think any. Of, I I think they're having a lot of trouble determining now that Rivera is in or Rivera will be in. I don't think there's any question about that. Yep. That whole next tier of Billy Wagner and Joe Nathan and and Hoffman and, or Lee Smith. Hoffman probably eventually gets in. I don't think he gets in this year. Okay. So we got five minutes to go. First, I'd like to point out that. Well, I want to, I want to, I actually want to throw, I actually want to throw two more names at you quickly. Kurt Schilling. Okay. No. No, because it doesn't, doesn't, because it didn't deserve it. No, because he's a douche. No, because, um, Definitely not the good second enough. part, but and he has to wait his turn. There are lots of starting pitchers before him, so he may eventually and the one get that, it. That kind of annoys me that he hasn't gotten more votes. Probably the best home run hitter, one of the best home run hitters who never got any because he never really he was like the Paul Merrow almost. Fred McGriff. He doesn't. Does he ever get a Fred shot McGriff. at getting in with his home runs? Yes, I think in the in the veterans committee he will have a good shot of getting. So, but that'll be in a couple of years. Okay, so we got five minutes to go. Uh, let me first say thank you to to Seth Kamins for putting Joe Nathan in a group with Billy Wagner, Mariano Rivera, and Trevor Hoffman. That may be the I only you time he's ever there. And Joe Nathan is actually still active, so he doesn't count. Number two, he really? and this will be yeah, he is. He's trying for recovery again. Uh, number two, and this will be my point, congratulations to my cousin Adam Moskov, his wife Kim Moskov, my brother Mitchell Palmer, my cousin Ivy Moskov. Working out and getting back into shape is a really hard thing to do. Um, taking that as a task for 2017 and making it a commitment is extremely hard. I give you guys so much credit for putting forth the effort, at least at the start, and I know of you guys will certainly make it a case for the for the remainder of the year. 
I'm really sorry to Kim and to Adam for putting you through my legs workout the other day. I'm sorry that you can't walk today. He's, uh, he's so sorry that he actually just uh, kind of uh, disappeared. Um, but I know that they lost a lot here. of weight. I know. I, oh, okay. You, I couldn't hear you, you. You tuned out for 30 seconds, so continue. You were talking about the leg, your no, leg that's thing. All, that's all I got. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you can't walk today. That's it. Go ahead. Oh, I didn't You're hear up. that part. All right, a couple of quick points. Uh, good luck, Chris Paul, coming back after uh, he's going for surgery. He's out six to eight weeks. BJ Penn, please retire. It's more than time. And interesting watching the boxing. It was a boxing match for the super middleweight title at 168 on Saturday night. Watching Mayweather as a promoter and watching his, his boxer, they ended up a draw, which was kind of the consensus Although probably his fighter probably deserved uh, the win, but it was a very tight fight. And listening to him him complain and moan, it was just it was it just brought back why he's so immensely disliked. You know, let him. You know, it's a tough fight. It, it was an arguable decision. I understood his frustration, but to start bringing up the fights that he could have lost or that you know that where he got screwed. Floyd, either fight or retire. No one gives a crap otherwise. And on that note, next week, we, we start talking Super Bowl. We start talking a little bit more college hoops, a little bit of NBA. What did you say? And, uh, my wife may call in and discuss a little bit of ballet, or maybe not. Depends what, depends what her mood is. Um, but again, we are, in, we are an all-inclusive show, so if she wants to call in, she is more than welcome to. Until then, Sean Palmer, Seth Kamen is on the Seth and Sean Sports Radio Show, BackSportsPage.com. Check us out on iTunes. Check us out on, on BackSports Page or on Blog Talk Radio. Have a good week. Have a good week, everybody.